wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for April 25th, 2019. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. Here today on the show to break down all the aftermath of the Superstar Shake... Wait, you're telling me it was last week? That can't be possible. It, it couldn't have been last week. We had Samoa Joe switch brands this week. And Andrade. And Aleister Black, too. Oh, and Samoa Joe. Oh, no, I already said Samoa Joe. I meant Cesaro. Oh, uh, what was... Oh, Jinder Mahal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He switched... Uh, well, we'll get in all the confusion regarding the Superstar shakeup and what matters and what doesn't and why it's still a fucking mess. Uh, we'll talk all about that soon enough with my exclusive reviews of Raw and SmackDown from this past week. But first, let's focus on what's most important, people. The countdown is nearly over for Avengers Endgame tomorrow night. It is released theatrically worldwide, or at least here in the United States. The rest of the world, I don't know. I don't care. Sorry. I'm seeing it tomorrow night, 1045. I got my fucking ticket. I cannot wait. I've been waiting for Infinity War, or excuse me, Endgame, Infinity War Part 2 technically, since the release of Infinity War about a year ago. And I talked all, like for about... The half an hour, like almost all episode long, with Jamie Lee Mack last year here on the show, breaking down Infinity War, our thoughts on the movie. Maybe we might do something similar with um, Endgame, either next week here on the show or an exclusive video for the YouTube channel, whatever it might be. Uh, We'll see how I might uh, discuss and respond to Endgame next week here, either on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, whatever it might be. Uh, Nonetheless, though, I will say this. This episode is going up early Thursday. Thursday morning, midnight Thursday, whatever. I promise to not spoil anything about any game on Twitter, on social media, what have you, at least until Sunday. Probably a little longer than that. I will not give my thoughts on the movie until everyone has had a chance to see it this weekend. I think Sunday's fair. Uh, I'm not going to go on Twitter at, you know, giving my two cents on who died and who didn't die and all this other stuff. Um, but I will be saving my thoughts for the movie until after everyone has had a chance to see it because not everyone can watch it Thursday, Friday night. Some people have to wait till Saturday and Sunday and maybe even later than that. So please be respectful of those who have not yet seen the movie as those are right now who have already seen the movie who aren't spoiling it online, which I think is great. Uh, I think they had the, not the world premiere, but like the big premiere of the movie, I think in Hollywood, wherever it was, with the cast of the movie on Monday night. Um, but still, I have not seen anything about the movie. Now, granted, I'm not going out of my way to see anything about Endgame, but I think I saw a website that I reposted a review of the movie on Tuesday night, because I think the press got a hold of the movie on Tuesday. Uh, so thankfully, people are being respectful of the spoilers for Endgame. Please do the same. Do not, you know, spoil it for everyone else and ruin it for everyone else. Enjoy the experience as, uh, you know, allow others to enjoy the experience as you would too, so... Just be mindful of that. But that is non-wrestling-related news. Just want to get my thoughts on Endgame out there, as it will be released tomorrow. And as I mentioned, I cannot fucking wait. 
This is WrestleRant Radio, and you guys could check out new episodes every single week, not only on NextDayWrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, you also get every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. As for me, folks, you can find me on the socials, on Twitter, at WrestleRant, on Facebook, facebook.com backslash gram.gsm.matthews, and on YouTube as well, at youtube.com backslash c backslash gram.gsm.matthews. So speaking of YouTube real quick, I'm finally, 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 after two weeks, caught up on everything that I either missed out on or was late on, on catching up on from WrestleMania week and after being there. For five to six days in the New York City area, we had a head of we had a hell of a time. Um, Alexis and I broke down our entire WrestleMania weekend experience right here on WrestleRant Radio two weeks ago. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already. Uh, an awesome episode, if I do say so myself. But um, yeah, I still had to catch up on stuff I had to watch on the network and articles and this and that and uploading shit. Uh, I am happy to report that two weeks out, two weeks removed. From WrestleMania weekend, I'm finally caught up on everything. So, if you haven't already checked them out, I have uploaded every video I took over Mania weekend from our videos at TakeOver, G1 Supercar, to WrestleMania, to even Monday Night Raw. They are all up as we speak. Like, close to 100 videos I took at all of these shows collectively. Probably not 100, but it was like something crazy like that. And uh, the Ultimate WrestleMania 35 weekend video blog will be up at some point, hopefully within the next week or so. i got to take some time to put that together. Um, but yeah, that's from WrestleMania week, and we got to talk about Raw and SmackDown from this week. Because apparently, as we speak at this very moment, the Superstar Shake-Up is still going on. The Superstar Shake-Up, despite, you know, contrary to popular belief, did not end last Tuesday on SmackDown. It's still going on to this very day, apparently. As we had several more moves made on both Raw and and SmackDown this past week. This company is such a fucking mess, dude. It's a fucking mess. Uh, They'll make some moves that are questionable to begin with, and then they'll either go back on them or make even more moves that don't make sense, all without any explanation whatsoever, which is what really bothers me, because I've been saying this for years now. I, personally, am a proponent of the brand split. I think the brand split, by and large, is better than not having a brand split. You have such a deep roster of talent, and even with two brands, they have more talent than they know what to do with. But at the same time, though, if you didn't have any brands, there'd be people that would be getting no television time, because you have to, you you gotta assume Roman's gonna be on both brands, as would Rollins, and this guy, and that guy. There would be people that you would never fucking say, because they just would not have enough television time to go around. So I like having the brand split, I've been saying that since day one. I was happy they brought it back. They paid pretty close attention to the rules of the brand split for the most part, for the first year, I would say. Then the first shakeup happened, kind of a mess. The second shakeup, even more of a mess. This most recent shakeup, though, takes the cake as the biggest fuck up in recent WWE history in terms of how confusing it is how inconsistent it is, how many things about this shakeup have yet to be explained. None of it is really explained with any proper logic whatsoever. And we said years ago when the first shakeup happened that the format sucked. That didn't change anything, though. Our complaining did not alter their plans whatsoever. They remained 
you know, consistent with their idea of what a shakeup is by having people randomly show up on one show or the other without any explanation provided whatsoever. Just people showing up here and showing up there. Hey, I'm a Raw guy now. Hey, I'm a SmackDown girl now. That's it. That's how they would book their fucking shakeup. And it's great to see people switch shows. But when people are showing up in certain places with no rhyme or reason, then why the hell should I care about a brand split? This shakeup, though, was so infuriating in terms of stuff that they did. And again, maybe it's just me. It probably is just me. And maybe I'm to blame here because I care too much. That's my biggest issue with this shit. I care too much. I want to believe, not that it's real, but that, that, that certain stuff like this matters. Clearly it doesn't if the way the company portrayed and handled this shakeup is any indication. So I talked all about the moves that were made last week here on the show and how I would have done things and people I would have moved and would not have moved and people I did like that moved. Uh, I gave my full analysis of the 2019 Superstar shakeup and I would recommend you check it out. But the issue is, is that there's a lot of issues with that podcast now in regards to stuff that did or did not happen. That it, you know, like certain people moved to certain shows and then they were moved back to that brand or people were brought up to their, you know, various shows a week late. Again, with no explanation whatsoever. Certain people like Nikki Cross don't even have a home yet. So definitely check out the podcast when you can. By and large, it's it's fairly accurate in terms of the moves made and some of them won't, weren't reversed. Um, but we had more moves made this past week. So let's get into it. To kick off Raw on Monday Night, we had the Universal Champion Seth Rollins and Triple H kick things off. Now, I really, in retrospect, have no clue why Triple H was there. I know the McMahons run things uh, day-to-day on Raw and on SmackDown. They can appear on any show, and that's great. But what purpose did he really serve here? He announced to Seth, hey, we're going to determine your next challenger here tonight with two triple threat matches. That would have been all well and good, if Michael Cole had not just announced the same thing on commentary. Maybe this was for the live crowd. Maybe it was just for Seth Rollins, who apparently does not have social media, (coughs) because 30 minutes before the show, they announced on Twitter that Rollins' next challenger for the Universal Championship and Money in the Bank next month would be determined via two triple threat matches with the winners meeting in a number one contenders match later on in the night. So this was kind of a waste of time, but we did have all of Rollins' potential challengers confront him here all the people that would be partaking in the two triple threat matches. So we had AJ Styles. They obviously saved him for last. He came out. Rey Mysterio, The Miz, Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, and the United States champion, Samoa Joe. I'm a big Joe fan. I'm glad he's on Raw. I thought he was a better fit for SmackDown, but no complaints that he's on Raw. He took the United States championship with him. Now, this was expected. I believe I talked about this last week here on the show about how Joe was reportedly originally scheduled to appear on Raw last week, but some sort of an illness, the guy was on his fucking deathbed, I guess, uh, prevented him from appearing on the show. Okay, no problem. But there was no mention of what show he was assigned to last week in the shakeup. He didn't show up on Raw. There was no mention of the Samoan submission machine on Raw last week. There was also no mention of Samoa Joe on SmackDown either. So he really had no idea officially what brand he would be assigned to until he showed up on Raw On Monday night, no explanation provided. Even Joe didn't say anything. He just said he was on Raw to take the Universal Championship. There was no indication given of why he was on Raw, if he was traded for Finn Balor and 
If so, by whom? Because again, the McMahons run all the shows. It's not like we have competing general managers anymore. Now people just kind of go where they please, which makes even less sense, but whatever. So Joe officially is now on the Raw roster. The United States Championship is now property of the Red Brand, which is fine. You know, they had the United States Championship on Raw when they first did the brand split a few years ago, and then they switched the titles in the following shakeup, and now they're back to where they belong. I think Joe's a great pick for Raw, but really my issue with it is that there was no explanation given whatsoever. Why they expect people to care about a fucking brand split, or a shakeup for that matter, if they themselves do not care enough to put effort into making it matter, or making things logical, or at least easy to follow if nothing else, then why the fuck should we care? On the bright side, we had a great triple threat match to kick off the show. It was AJ Styles beating Samoa Joe and Rey Mysterio. Uh, this was awesome. I know all three guys are from SmackDown, so it's not like we got to see any mixing of Raw and SmackDown guys here. Like, guys that came over from SmackDown, it was purely three guys that came over from SmackDown. But they all have awesome chemistry, so I had no issue with this whatsoever. And the finish was great, too. AJ hit the Styles Clash on Joe with Rey Mysterio, and then pinned Joe to pick up the victory. So I thought that was really cool. Um, but yeah, Styles and Joe have history from over there, you know, from over on SmackDown. Joe and Rey Mysterio just faced off a WrestleMania for the United States Championship, albeit briefly in a minute-long match, but they did, they did have a feud going nonetheless. Um, and then there's Rey Mysterio and AJ Styles, who I don't believe actually ever had a one-on-one match outside of WWE. I think they wanted to before AJ came over to WWE in 2016. There might have been plans to. I don't know what the deal is. Um, but I know they've always wanted to face each other, and we kind of sort of got that here in this match, which I thought was awesome. So yeah, AJ Styles did go over in the end, uh, securing a spot in the main event match for later on in the night to determine Rollins' next challenger for the Universal Championship, so terrific triple threat. And then we had the WWE Women's Tag Team Champion Billy Kay in action, taking on Naomi. Uh, I'm not as much of a fan of this as other people may be. I just thought this was kind of a waste of time. It was probably better to keep it short and sweet, to be honest with you. But the women's tag team titles have quickly been devalued and mean absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So for those keeping track at home, the Iconics won the tag team titles for no real rhyme or reason at WrestleMania. Yeah, they did beat Banks and Bailey in an episode of SmackDown like a month and a half ago. Beyond that, though, they have been booked like fucking losers for the better part of the last year since they got called up to SmackDown. And I was happy they got called up, but the follow-up to their debut was pretty bad. I think Peyton Royce lost to Charlotte a week after getting called up, so that pretty much told you right then and there what they think of the Iconics and where they're slotted on the card. But they gave them the tag team titles anyway. Um, I mean, I guess because they wanted to split up Banks and Bailey, Nia Jax, they must have known, was going to go out for surgery, uh, which is probably for the best that she was getting surgery, because if not, they probably would have won, which would have been disastrous and maybe even worse off. And then Natalia and Beth aren't a full-time team. Beth only came back for WrestleMania. So I guess the Iconics were their only other choice. But that doesn't change the fact that they were booked like losers going into WrestleMania 35. And then they became the Women's Tag Team Champions. Fine, all right, whatever. You then do a hard reset of the character and you start booking them strongly. You start booking them to win more often. Unfortunately, they did not do that. Yes, they beat the quote-unquote, undefeated Brooklyn Bells on the SmackDown after WrestleMania to retain their women's tag team titles. 
But since then, though, they have lost every match they have been a part of, respectively and collectively. Um, they lost to Naomi and Bailey last week on Raw. The next one out on SmackDown, they lost that eight-woman tag team match with Man- with Mandy and Sonya to, I think, Kyrie and Asuka and Bailey and Ember, I want to say. I think it was the eight-woman tag team match. They lost that too. I think, actually, Peyton got pinned. Um, Monday, this Monday on Raw, Peyton Royce got pinned by Naomi one-on-one in a, uh, that's what I'm talking about here, is they got, she got pinned real quickly, that's why I was just reviewing, and then on SmackDown, Peyton Royce got beat by, I think, not Bailey, who was it, Kyrie Sane, Kyrie Sane, and both matches together probably came out to about two or three minutes max, three minutes max, it was closer to like two minutes combined for both matches, which is fucking sad. It's like the Divas division of old with the women getting all of a minute or two on TV. Now, granted, we had Charlotte and Bailey on the same show, which got way more time than this. And I would, or, uh, that was on SmackDown. I'm sorry, this was Raw. Uh, we had another match on the show between Alexa Bliss and, or rather, uh, Becky Lynch and, who was it? Becky Lynch and, um, fuck, uh, Alicia Fox, who gives a shit, but she was on the show nonetheless, and that got like three times as more time than this did. Uh, I, w- I would have rather seen this last longer because Alicia Fox's match was terrible, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. But uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of how the women's tag team titles are already being booked to look like shit. Now, I know there's one thing, there's, there's something to be said for the two being booked to look like vulnerable champions. That's fine, but like when you're losing every single week, what does it even really mean to be a champion? Really? Like, at this point, their promos are terrible. The material they're given to work with here, whether it's WWE to blame or themselves to blame, I'm not sure. But the material in their promos is cringeworthy. And the matches aren't much better. And they're not terrible in the ring. They've just really never done anything for me in the ring. I cannot remember one single memorable match these two have had on the main roster since they got called up as a unit. So Naomi and Billy Kay was a complete waste of time. We had our second triple threat on the show between Baron Corbin, The Miz, and Drew McIntyre with their winner of this match advancing to the night's main event against AJ Styles to determine the number one contender to the Universal Championship. Uh, this was not nearly as good as the other triple threat, but it was still good. It was still all right. I still enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, Baron Corbin went over in the end. I thought The Miz really shined here. I thought Miz did a great job of attempting to overcome the odds against McIntyre and Corbin, who have had this on-and-off alliance now for a few weeks. I did not think Miz would win, nor should he have. Corbin was a good pick. Not a big Corbin. Honestly, I think McIntyre would have been a better pick. They probably didn't want to have McIntyre to get pinned. Because um, here he wasn't pinned. It was the Miz who got pinned by Baron Corbin. So they protected McIntyre in defeat. But still, I think AJ and McIntyre, which they could always save for down the road, would have been a way better main event than what we got here. Or what we got on this show between Baron Corbin and AJ Styles. But this triple threat was good. Uh, Corbin is way better in multi-man matches, I will say that much. And The Miz, as I've said before, has really exceeded all expectations as a babyface. Um, I, I, you know, I figured, I, I talked about this a couple months ago when he first turned at Fastlane, but I've always seen something with The Miz as a babyface. I've always felt, dating back to when he first turned, like in 2012, that he could work as a babyface. But they didn't book him right. They booked him to look like an afterthought. He was hosting that Miz TV segment, which he still does now, but he was doing it way more often at that point. I don't think we've seen a single Miz TV. Actually, I lie. I take that back. I think we saw one Miz TV with, um, who was it? Uh, Shane McMahon right before WrestleMania. Which, by the way, what happened to that feud? Miz and Shane, is that already over? Because if it is, if they built up 
Sheen to beat The Miz only to lose to like Roman Reigns. What a fucking waste. So hopefully they blow that feud off at some point. What a waste it was to have The Miz get beaten by Shane McMahon at WrestleMania if it's not going to lead anywhere. Now, I know they interacted last week on Raw, but still, I mean, that was nothing. That was just to explain that The Miz is on Raw now. So if they don't blow off that feud, then what a waste of a win it was for Shane McMahon. The best in the world, as he calls himself. But yeah, with The Miz exceeding all expectations as a babyface, like I said, I thought he could make for a good face years ago, and he was booked like shit with The Miz TV stuff, and he just didn't have really any memorable feuds. Like, he just kind of spun his wheels for a few months before landing on, like, a feud with Wade Barrett over the IC title, who he quickly lost the belt back to, like, the next night on Raw after WrestleMania 29. But I like Babyface Miz. So far, so good. I don't know how long it's going to last. He might be just in the honeymoon phase right now. Who knows? Um, but hopefully he can be slotted in a good feud and a good position here on the card. I do not think he'll ever become a world champion again on Raw. That's why I felt like he was better off on SmackDown. But can't seem surprised just because, as they mentioned last week, Miz and Miss is still airing on the USA Network. So kind of makes sense to keep that on Raw with uh, SmackDown moving to Fox a little later on this year. But whatever. And Drew McIntyre was good here too. So hopefully something can come out of the Corbin McIntyre uh, falling out, the, the falling out between those two, because Corbin picked up the win after McIntyre, I think, hit Miz with the Claymore, Corbin picked up the scraps, pinned the Miz, and he advanced to the main event instead, and then McIntyre gave Corbin, like, this death stare after the match, um, all but confirming that this alliance that they've had in recent months is all but over, and here's hoping that's the case, because this Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley trio, is like the cure for fucking insomnia. Good lord, I do not care. I like Corbin, kind of. I like Lashley. I really like McIntyre. Together, though, they are terrible. Zero chemistry. Zero wins. Uh, they lost it fastly, and they lost the Shield again at the Shield's last chapter on Sunday at that uh, Des Moines, Iowa, I think it's pronounced Des Moines. Um, on Sunday, that house show, they lost to the Shield again. So... I really hope that was it for the Corbin-Lashley-McIntyre trio. And unfortunately, they're all still on Raw. I don't know why they did not move one of them to SmackDown. They should have moved Lashley, to be honest with you. They didn't. Maybe they still will. Maybe they'll, he'll show up on SmackDown next week. I don't know. But yeah, with Corbin-McIntyre and Lashley, uh, here is hoping that was the end of their alliance because so far it's been no good in terms of their chemistry together and just doing any sort of uh, positives, benefiting Raw in any sort of way. They have just been completely boring and flat since they formed that friendship and formed that alliance or whatever it might be called uh, many months ago. So please let that be the end of it. Speaking of the Shield's final chapter, it aired on the network on Sunday real quick here. Uh, Not to give a formal review, there's really nothing to give a formal review of. They had the Shield beat the aforementioned trio of Corbin McIntyre and Lashley. It was a fine match. The Fastlane match was better in my opinion. Um, This wasn't bad. It was a good send-off for the Shield, but we got that same send-off for the Shield of Fastlane, so again, I don't know why they had to book it again here. I was a little confused about that. Um, But the match was okay. Also on the show, we had Finn Balor be Elias to retain the Intercontinental Championship. Okay match, nothing memorable, nothing all that good at all. And then, I think it was Bailey and Ember Moon who beat the Riot Squad's Ruby Riot and Sarah Logan. Because it was supposed to be like a Raw pay-per-view, uh, or Robin, I think it was, but Bailey and Ember had since been moved to SmackDown, so that's why we had the mingling of the Raw and SmackDown stars here, but that was it for the Riot Squad. The Riot Squad have since been broken up 
via the Superstar Shake-Up. Unless Ruby Rye and Sarah Logan show up on SmackDown next week, which could always be the case. But anyway, um, yeah, that was The Shield's last chapter. Really not much more to write home about other than that. Uh, pretty forgettable show. Even The Shield's send-off, which was nice in the post-match promo and shit, which was cool, but beyond that, it was a complete waste of time. So if you didn't watch it, don't bother. Just check out the highlights from the main event with The Shield and specifically Ambrose's promo, which was good. A nice feel-good moment to uh, end off his career in WWE, but beyond that, completely missable. Sami Zayn was back on Raw this week to address the WWE Universe, showing off photos from his various vacations that he took and his absence and his uh, you know leave from WWE for those many months that he was recuperating from shoulder surgery. And again, Sami Zayn just feels locked into this character right now. He just is firing in all cylinders with this piece of shit human being character gimmick that he's got going on right now and just belittling the audience and telling them that they don't matter and all of this stuff and that you have to look within, that you're the issue, all this other stuff. I distinctly remember Sami Zayn talking about this same gimmick or giving his thoughts on the world and fans and stuff like that in character with this gimmick of sorts on Talk is Jericho, Chris Jericho's podcast a few months ago. So maybe that's where he got the idea from or the you know creative team got the idea from, I don't know. But I'm glad he's incorporating it on a television because this was some great shit. And if it leads to a Sami Zayn-Cedric Alexander feud, then I'm all for it. Because that was teased here. Zayn was making his way back up the ramp. Uh, and that was when Alexander made his entrance for his match with Cesaro. Um, but yeah, Sami-Cedric feud would be great. And, you know, granted they've done this before where someone will be on the stage or walking up the ramp or whatever. And then someone's music hits and they kind of interact on in the rampway before they make their way down to the ring. Um, and it leads usually leads to nothing, so this may be no different. But I think on paper, a Sammy Cedric feud, and they, they kind of milked it for all it was worth. They kind of like locked eyes. They didn't just walk past each other. It wasn't like two ships passing in the night. They really like interacted with each other for a couple seconds before Alexander made his way to the ring, and then Zayn returned to the back. So I like the idea of an Alexander Zayn feud a lot because he can give both guys a few victories. They need wins right now. Zayn just lost in his first match back two weeks ago to Finn Balor. Uh, Alexander lost here to Cesaro. I I mean, I'm not going to say I don't know why, because they probably want to build up Cesaro to mean something now that he's on Raw as a singles competitor. I did think it was questionable to have Alexander lose in his Raw debut, though, um, after coming from over from 205 Live. They really got to establish him as, like, a credible competitor on this show. Because he is. He's a very good athlete. He had a great run in 205 Live. But I fear that if they continue to have him lose, and this was one match, but they have him lose and lose and lose, they kind of put him in the Neville spot from like four or five years ago where they brought up Neville from NXT, and he had great showings with like Wade Barrett and Dolph Ziggler and John Cena and even Seth Rollins, but he lost all the time. He would always lose, and no one really took him seriously. And they kind of saw him as a cruiserweight-like competitor. Cedric is better than that, as was Neville, and I don't want to see Alexander treated like Neville now that he's on Raw. They really got to establish, like, hey, he's a big player here, like they did with Ali. Ali, they had him pin the WWE Champion his second week on the show. So I'm hoping Alexander can have a similar breakout on Raw and be treated the way that he deserves to be treated as a star, because the guy's really, really good. But the match that he had with Cesaro was very well wrestled. It was a lot of fun. They worked well together. The crowd wasn't really all that into it, but... I can't say I'm surprised. Alexander was on 205 Live for the last three years. And Cesaro's been a tag team guy for the last couple of years as well. He's been in a tag team with Sheamus for as long as 205 Live's been around. That's a long time. 
Uh, oddly enough, Cesaro did make his entrance for this match with the bar theme song. So why he came out to the Sheamus theme when he has his own theme, which he initially came out to here, I, I don't know. But um, I would be all for more matches between these two. Hopefully Cesaro can benefit from the victory. But um, if these two were to feud going forward, if the Zayn alexander thing doesn't actually happen, they could really benefit from having like a best of five, best of seven series, a lot like Cesaro and Sheamus did back in the day. I like that idea a lot. But yeah, this was a very good match though. After that, we had War Machine, or I'm sorry, uh, War Raiders. No, no, it was uh, the Viking Experience. No, wait, uh, the, the Viking Raiders. That's what it is. The Viking Raiders uh, take on the Lucha House Party here, uh, which never actually happened. Uh, they attacked the Lucha House Party before the bell. Match, match never came to fruition, so that was that. They're still being billed as the NXT Tag Team Champions on, like, the website and stuff. Uh, like, when they when you look up the results for Raw on WWE.com, they're still listed as the NXT Tag Team Champions, despite not coming out with the fucking NXT Tag Team titles. And they've had people show up on the main roster before with their titles from NXT. They're very inconsistent about this. When Kevin Owens was the NXT Champion about four years ago, he showed up on Raw with the NXT title. He actually defended the NXT Championship on Raw at one point, which was kind of cool. Um, Sasha Banks, I don't think, showed up on the main roster with the NXT Women's title when she got called up four years ago. Um, the Ascension, I don't think they made a sole appearance on like main event or something as the NXT Tag Team Champions without the titles. I know even just as recently as a few months ago, they had Gianna Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa show up on the main roster with their titles. So it's it's very weird. Um, but yeah, they are now the Viking Raiders after all the fucking backlash the Viking experience got last week on Raw. The Viking Raiders isn't that much better. It's a slight, slight improvement. But it's still better than the Viking experience, which is an atrocious name for a tag team. Um, yeah, they pretty much squashed the Lucha House Party here, which was good. I'm glad they are being booked to look dominant. I'm happy about that. Uh, but... That was about it. The crowd didn't really care about this. They kind of sat on their hands, so that sucked. But uh, I'm glad they're being booked to look like a dominant faction, a dominant force right out of the gate. So that's good. Despite the dumb name changes, but at least they're being booked, you know, fairly strongly so far. Fairly strong up to this point. So I am happy about that, if nothing else. Becky Lynch came out for a non-title match against Alicia Fox. Yes, who is still employed. We have not seen Alicia Fox on WWE TV since early February. I believe when she teamed up with Nikki Cross, which thank God that didn't last, and I mean, then again, Nikki Cross isn't even on TV right now, so maybe not, but yeah, she teamed up with Nikki Cross to lose to, I think they lost to the Boston Hub Connection, it was like a qualifying match for the women's tag team title match at Elimination Chamber, if I'm not mistaken, uh, so we've not seen her in like close to two and a half months, she is back on the show, I don't know why, because Becky Lynch, as great as she is, she's not a miracle worker, this match sucked, Alicia Fox is no good. The issue is that she's never really been that good. At best, she was competent. In the ring, she was competent. So, in comparison to the other women on the show at that point, back in 2010, 2011, 2012, she was okay. But we have so many more women that are way better than Alicia Fox is, therefore begging the question of why she's still around. I don't want to advocate for anyone to lose their job here, but, like, it's a genuine question. Why is she still on the roster? Even the character shit with her going crazy got old five years ago. At this point, it's annoying. It doesn't elicit any heat at all. And her matches are terrible. So I I really don't know what purpose this was supposed to serve Allow from allowing, you know, aside from allowing Becky to maintain momentum because she did win here. 
But it should not have taken her eight minutes to put away Alicia fucking Fox. It it seemed a bit ass backwards to me to do that. So this was not good. Um, Lacey Evans did attack Becky after the bell. So Lacey Evans is officially booked to go for the Raw Women's Championship of the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Not both belts. Uh, the SmackDown Women's title will also be defended on the show, but against someone else. We'll talk about that in my SmackDown review momentarily. Bobby Roode is Bobby Roode no more. As he announced before the show on Monday night, he is now going by the name of Robert Roode. And if that sounds familiar, it's because he has used that name before in Impact Wrestling. I don't know for how long, because I thought he started out his career with the name Robert Roode. Apparently, he started out as Bobby Roode, because I've seen um, his appearances on Velocity and other WWE shows like that, where he was announced as Bobby Roode. So clearly at some point during his TNA tenure, his name was changed from Bobby Roode to Robert Roode. And then I know it was changed back to Bobby Roode by like 2011. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, but yeah. And I thought at the time that was a weird name. Like, why not just call him Robert Roode? That's a lot better of a name for him. Why Bobby Roode? I thought it was weird. But now we've been calling him Bobby Roode for so long now. It's been eight years since the change. So now that he's back to Robert Roode, now that sounds weird. And with it comes a new look. He debuted an all-new mustache on Monday's Raw. That looked like it had a mind and heart of its own, uh, did the mustache. Now, I don't hate the stash. It's just a weird look for Rude. Now that he doesn't have the long hair anymore, he has, like, the short hair that he's had for about, you know, six or seven years now, it just looks weird. So I guess maybe Vince wants to bring back Rick Rude from the dead, and he can't, so he's bringing back the Rick Rude character in the form of Robert Rude. I, I don't know. I don't know if they want to play this off as Robert Roode being the illegitimate son of Rick Roode. I, I don't know because they look a lot alike. Maybe that's how Robert Roode got the last name of Roode in the first place in wrestling. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't want to hate on it, though. I do not want to hate on it because, if nothing else, it's something for him to do. It looks like he's getting a renewed push on his own specifically. Now, he was a Raw Tag Team Champion about six months ago, but been there, done that. We've seen Roode in tag teams before. He's a lot better on his own. That's really where the money is in Rude, is as a singles competitor and as a heel. And now he has not been a heel yet since his NXT days. And he's finally apparently a heel now after turning heel a few weeks ago on Raw and he was split away from Gable in the Superstar Shakeup. So he is finally a he is finally a heel in WWE on the main roster on his own, which is great to see now that Gable's on SmackDown. They can finally start pushing him. Now, I don't want to see his push come at the expense of someone like Ricochet. He was also very talented, has a very high ceiling for success in this company, and should not be losing clean every week. This marked Ricochet's first clean loss in WWE, which, again, I'm okay with for night one because it looks like they're pushing Robert Roode right now, uh, but we'll see where it goes. This might turn into a full-fledged feud. I don't know, but I thought it was a good match. The crowd didn't really care because it took place so late in the show that people were really just kind of ready for the main event for the show to be over with, and there wasn't anything overly exciting about the match, unfortunately. Um, but I like the renewed push for Robert Roode. I really do. I've always been a big Roode fan. I loved his work in Impact. Really enjoyed his work in NXT. And I hope he can have similar success in WWE. Now, there's a lot of heels on Raw. They have McIntyre. They have Bobby Lashley. They have uh, Baron Corbin, of course. And they have a number of others as well that I'm probably forgetting right now. So I'm not really sure how far... Samoa Joe, of course, too. So I'm not sure how much further he can go on his own as a singles guy, uh, like how high up in the pecking order he can go in WWE, 
But I think he can go far if pushed the right way. That's purely my opinion, though. But again, I do not want to see his push come at the expense of someone like a Ricochet or a Cedric, who also need wins right now to further their own career and establish themselves as credible singles competitors. But I like this for what it was, though. We get to the main event, the number one contenders match for the Universal Championship between Baron Corbin and AJ Styles. I talked about Becky Lynch earlier and how she was not a miracle worker. AJ Styles is not either, despite popular belief, popular opinion. He is not a miracle worker. This was not that good of a match. These two have worked well in the past. I thought this was a solid match, albeit completely unspectacular. It was a good match, but the issue is that Baron Corbin, in the main event of Raw, is so fucking dull. It's so hard to get excited about a Baron Corbin Raw main event match. We saw him in the main event of last week's Raw against... Uh, Rollins, Reigns, and Styles alongside McIntyre and Lashley. And that was what it was. And hopefully that alliance is over with, as I talked about earlier. But I have no interest in seeing Baron Corbin in a singles capacity in the main event scene. Uh, Maybe a few years ago, but his recent work in the last year or so has done nothing to make me think that he would be a viable universal champion. Like an, an entertaining universal champion by any stretch. Uh, his mic work is good, but in the ring, is that's not really his strong suit. And if he's in the ring with AJ, and even AJ can't get a great match out of the guy, or like at least a slightly above average match, that's an issue. Then it becomes the problem of Baron Corbin bringing AJ Styles down. So, uh, it was a good match. It was alright. AJ thankfully won. The, therefore, setting up AJ Styles and Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship and the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. That's fucking huge. And I'll talk more about that in a second. Baron Corbin being in the Raw main event, eh, not too high on that. Now, there was a report going around, not even a report, but the arena. Uh, I don't know where Extreme Rules will be this year, but the arena website that will be hosting the pay-per-view come July was advertising Rollins and Corbin for the Universal Championship, which, God, I hope that is not the case. I really hope we do not get that match come Extreme Rules. I don't want to see that match at all, but if we're going to get it, we get it as a Raw match, fine. As a Universal Championship pay-per-view match, that does nothing for me. If AJ can't get a great match out of Baron, I would be very surprised if Seth could. So hopefully that's not where we're going with this. I would be so disappointed if they were blown off AJ and Seth now, only to be able to Rollins and Corbin at the July pay-per-view. So here is hoping that's not the case, but uh, this was a fine match. Like I said, though, Styles and Seth is set in stone for the Money in the Bank pay-per-view next month. Now, I'm of two minds on this thing. On one hand, I am looking forward to the match. We've never seen Styles and Rollins one-on-one before in WWE. I think the last match they went one-on-one in was like fucking 15 years ago when Rollins first started out in wrestling. And the match was included in Rollins' uh, WWE 24 documentary, a number of years ago, and Styles actually called Rollins the future of the business, and he wasn't far off there at all. Um, if he said the future of the universe, now that'd be a different story. That would be a bit eerie the same way, I think. Was it Kevin Owens that said that he wanted to be the champion of the universe in like an old Being the Elite show or like an old Young Bucks video on YouTube with Adam Cole years ago? Now that's fucking eerie in retrospect because he wanted to become the universal champion. Um, but nonetheless, though, AJ and Seth, the money in the bank. I'm looking forward to the match for a few reasons. We've never seen it before. I'll be there at the show, and it's bound to be awesome. It's bound to be a great match. The issue is that they're doing it at Money in the Bank. Now, granted, Money in the Bank is arguably one of the big five. It's not officially a big four pay-per-view. It's not. 
People can say that all day long. Oh, it's booked to feel like a big five pay-per-view. It's, you know, more entertaining and more anticipated than Survivor Series is, which is probably true. Um, Money in the Bank has absolutely been one of the bigger shows WWE has done since its inception back in 2010. I think this might be the 10th installment coming up next month, uh, which is a lot. Very few pay-per-views last 10 years. Money in the Bank lasting that long is a testament to the success of that show. Now, granted, so is Hell in the Cell, and that's been around for 10 years too, and that show has rarely been good, so I take that back. But Money in the Bank has had a lot of big matches, like a lot of matches you would be surprised that were being held at Money in the Bank and not SummerSlam. Uh, matches like John Cena and CM Punk, that amazing match from 2011, one of my favorite matches of all time. We had John Cena and CM Punk, uh, John Cena and um, AJ Styles at the 2016 Money in the Bank pay-per-view. They've done a lot of big matches at this pay-per-view before. They did AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura there last year. So they've done big matches with these guys before at these shows, at these Money in the Bank pay-per-views. So this is far from something that's out of the ordinary for WWE to book a big match at a B-level pay-per-view like Money in the Bank. At the end of the day, though, officially, it is not a Big Four or Big Five pay-per-view. It's not. A Big Four pay-per-view would have the whole weekend centered around it, like Raw does, or like the Royal Rumble does, or WrestleMania, or Survivor Series, or even SummerSlam. The entire weekend is set in, like, the same city. They've been doing this for a few years now, where they have every show that weekend, whether it be, you know, the TakeOver, the pay-per-view, Raw and SmackDown, all emanate from the same city. They do that with those four shows. They do not do that with Money in the Bank. Now, they did do that last year with Money in the Bank with TakeOver, I believe. Um, they had, I mean, I was there, actually. They did TakeOver and Money in the Bank at the same arena two nights in a row in Chicago, which was cool, and it was a great you know experience, and I was very happy that I went. But um, at the same time, it's not the Royal Rumble. It's not WrestleMania. It's not Survivor Series, and it's not SummerSlam. Raw the next night, I do not believe, was in Chicago. Neither was SmackDown, and that's not the case this year either. Raw is not going to be in Hartford the same way the pay-per-view is, and they're not doing a takeover, God forbid, in Hartford, which I can only imagine how dull that would be. <laughs> Could you imagine them doing a takeover in Hartford of all places? Good God. For some reason, that does not sound exciting. That sounds as exciting as WrestleMania 11, uh, which also emanated from Hartford, you know, 20, 25 years ago, almost 24 years ago now. But anyway, um, I would have personally saved the match for SummerSlam. That was my speculation. I was talking with someone on Twitter earlier on that day on Monday about AJ and Rollins headlining Survivor Series for the Universal Championship. Because right now, when you look at the landscape of Raw, there is no bigger match that the Raw brand can do at the moment with who they have on their roster than AJ and Seth Rollins, one-on-one for the Universal Championship. Then again, someone may get hot between now and WrestleMania, fucking Kofi Kingston. A year ago, was losing at WrestleMania to the Bludgeon Brothers. A year later, facing Daniel Bryan and beating Daniel Bryan for the WWE Championship. So... You never know what might happen in WWE and who may get hot when. Like, Mojo Raleigh, for God's sakes, could pop out of nowhere next year and become the Universal Champion. For all of our sakes, I hope that doesn't happen. But that the point is, is that anyone can rise up at any time. So I may be wrong here. Maybe Rollins and AJ is not the hot ticket for WrestleMania next year for the Universal Championship. Um, I would think it would, you know, it would be as of right now. Like, I don't see McIntyre being in that spot or even Lashley or Corbin or really anyone else on that brand, but they're doing it in Money in the Bank. I don't see it having a clean finish, but I do see this being the first match of many um, for over the summer, you know, starting in May, maybe ending around July or SummerSlam. These two can really rip it up against each other. They can have some awesome chemistry. So I'm looking forward to the feud. I'm just, 
I'm a bit weary about it happening so soon. Like, AJ arrived on Raw literally one week ago. Or, like, at this point, ten days ago. But you know what I meant. AJ's now on Raw after three years being on SmackDown, immediately gets a WWE title match. Again, I would have waited, or rather a universal title match. I'm so used to saying him as WWE champion because he was champion for like a year and a half last year. Um, I would have waited longer to put the belt on AJ or would have waited longer to at least have him go for the championship. I don't think he's winning the belt this soon anyway. I, I would be surprised if they took the championship off of Rollins anytime soon. And we also got to consider here who's winning Money in the Bank. There was a report this week from the at WrestleVotes account, which is gotten some stories right in the past, other times not so much, so take this for what it's worth, but it was reported by that Twitter account on Raw, or before Raw on on Twitter this past Monday, that WWE is hoping to make the Money in the Bank winner this year, hopefully both, not just for the men or the women, but both, mean something. They want to make stars out of the Money in the Bank winners this year, after what they've done with the women, and not really the women, more so the men, in the last few years. The first two women's uh, Miss Money in the Banks I thought were good. Carmella did a good job. I mean, I'm not a big Carmella fan, but she did well with the role. She became champion. She was champion for a number of months last year, so she really wasn't a failure as Miss Money in the Bank. And then we had Alexa Bliss, who won it that night, and then cashed it in later that night to become Raw Women's Champion. So again, um, you know, we've had we've had people cash in the same night before. Kane did it, Dean Ambrose did it, now Alexa Bliss. We could see that again this year with Becky defending both of her belts on the same show. But what I'm trying to get at here is that it's not really an issue with the women. It was more so an issue with the men. I feel like they absolutely have blown their opportunities to make stars out of certain people. Braun Strowman as Mr. Money in the Bank was cool. It's like, okay, finally he can become Universal Champion after going for the belt a number of times and failing every single time. Because remember, he went for the belt at SummerSlam 2017 and lost. Went for the belt at, what was it, the September pay-per-view, No Mercy 2017 and lost. And then he went for the belt at Royal Rumble 2018 and lost. So the Money in the Bank briefcase would have been his ticket to the main event scene of the Universal Championship. And he lost again and then again to Brock Lesnar at Crown Jewel. So he was kind of a missed opportunity. The year before that, Baron Corbin was a complete and utter waste. I actually liked Baron Corbin becoming Mr. Money in the Bank. I really did. But they booked him like shit. And then he lost to Jinder in like 30 seconds, not even. And that was it. That was the end of Corbin's main event push. Now he's back in the main event scene years later, which is where I do not want him to be because I feel like he has regressed in the last two years. Um, But anyway, uh, I really do hope they can make something out of this year's Mr. Money the Bank winner, whether it be Andrade or even Finn Balor, regardless of whether he's still IC champion by that point, or even someone from Raw like a Ricochet, like a Bobby Roode, like a Cesaro would be a great Dark Horse pick, which is not happening. But you know what I'm saying? Like someone like that would be fucking cool. Um, I don't see that happening, but it would be cool. So again, uh, when it comes to, uh, Mr. Money in the Bank, they don't have, they have yet to announce anyone that's involved in either match. I think Alexa Bliss is announcing the women for the Raw, like the Raw participants in this year's Miss Money in the Bank ladder match and the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match on Raw this week. For the men, we have no clue yet. Um, so hopefully they follow through on that report if it is true. If it is true, they follow through on the report and make them stars and they don't waste the opportunity because at that point why even bother having a money in the bank briefcase if you're not going to use it correctly um it might be a new thing to have the mr money in the bank person cash in unsuccessfully baron corbin failed to cash in and then braun Strowman. so the last person to do so successfully was dean ambrose back in 2016 the same night that he won it um hopefully this person will have similar luck to ambrose and cash in successfully whenever that might be 
So that was Raw on Monday. I actually liked Raw. I actually really liked Raw on Monday. I like the fresh roster. I like the fresh faces on the show, the new storylines. It might take some time to get used to. But overall, I thought it was a solid show. Now, I should mention this too. The Bray Wyatt vignette. I went on a massive tangent about this on hashtag AskGSM. And maybe tangent isn't the right word. Um, because I don't want to rant about it. I actually like the Bray Wyatt vignette. I will mention it briefly here, but for my full thoughts on it, for anything I don't mention here, check out this week's hashtag AskGSM on YouTube. Um, but yeah, Bray Wyatt has finally resurfaced on Raw, albeit not in the flesh, but like he did resurface in a video package. Uh, not really a video package, but a segment they called Firefly Firefly Funhouse during Monday's Raw. And he showed up looking like fucking Steve from Blue's Clues, acting like him as well. Uh, we saw Mercy the Buzzard and I think Happy the Witch. I think her name was Happy. Someone said Pappy or whatever. I, I had read it was Happy, whatever it might be. He had his puppet friends, the bunny, which was in the graphic for the show, was nowhere to be seen, so maybe he comes back. Maybe he's incorporated next week. I don't know. Um, but there's a few different ways they can go with this, and I actually am intrigued by it. I'm cautiously optimistic. Now, I know I shouldn't be, given this company's track record with things that actually have promise. Um, but you know what, though? Like I said on hashtag, the guy cannot go any further down the totem pole than he is. He's been off TV since August. He's been buried six feet under over the last five years from losing to John Cena, to Randy Orton, to The Undertaker, to Roman Reigns, to this guy, to that guy. The guy's lost everybody. He's lost everybody. So why not try something new and put him in a feud, or not put him in a feud, but put him in a, you know, give him a character that he can run with, that he can have some fun with. Now, this may not be what we think it is. You know, some people are theorizing, oh, maybe he's institutionalized. I think that'd be amazing. I think that'd be some great long-term storytelling given the tweets that he was putting out late last year that have since been deleted. But the tweets he was putting out indicated that he was um, institutionalized. So if that's the route they take with this, I'm very excited to see where this goes. Now they could also take the Funkasaurus route too, where he was built up for weeks as a killer, made his debut as the Funkasaurus in kind of like a swerve moment. And people were like, what the fuck was that? And we all thought like, okay, maybe he'll go heal soon. It's all a swerve. Nothing. Nothing. He did not ditch the Funkasaurus character Brodus Clay did until January of 2014, almost two years later. That's ridiculous. And then he was released like five months after that. I don't want to see the same thing happen with Bray Wyatt. I don't think the same thing will happen with Bray Wyatt. But to those angry about the whole Bray Wyatt thing and him being buried with a kid show character and all this other shit, just stay tuned. I'm not saying it will work out. I'm just saying there's a chance it could work out. You could say that with anything. I understand that. But with Bray Wyatt, it's worth a shot because the guy has done nothing. Four years now, he has been dead man walking. You know, not The Undertaker, which he's also, he's also lost to him as well multiple times. But his character has been dead in the water for several years now. Several years. You'd have to go back quite a while to find the last time that Bray Wyatt was like actually relevant. Because it seems he's always built up just to lose to someone else. And I really hope that's not the case this time around. And he can have some fun with whatever character this might be. Whether it be like a cult leader again in just a different form. Or a crazy person. Or whatever it might be. It has promise. So please, WWE, do not fuck this up. Run with it. Make it as good as it could be. Just give Wyatt the reins and just let him go. Because I feel like when they give Wyatt creative control, he can really let loose and become very entertaining, a lot like he was with the original Bray Wyatt character, the Eater of Worlds, which I know people are going to miss, but the issue was that it was always associated with failure, because the guy was always constantly losing.
So the only place for him to go at this point is up. And then changing things up, coming back as a completely different person, repackaged and all, is the best route to take with Bray Wyatt right now. So we move on to SmackDown, which kicked off with Shane McMahon teasing that Roman Reigns would be fired after laying out Vince McMahon on, on Raw, or rather SmackDown last week. And they were teasing on social media, on Twitter, coming into the show, that Roman Reigns could face repercussions for attacking Vince McMahon which is so stupid. We've been down this road before. Oh, will he be fired? Will he not be fired? Who gives a shit? We know he's not getting fired. He's getting some good reactions right now, including on SmackDown at the moment. So having him, you know, uh, go up against McMahon and feud with Vince, they're, they're just beating down a dead horse because we've seen it before and we know it's not going anywhere. It's not going to help out Roman. Just take what you have with him right now, the goodwill that he's built up with these fans and the genuine positive reactions that he's receiving at the moment, and don't go any further with it. Don't don't gamble and then have him go up against the McMahons and then play the whole Stone Cold McMahon shit from like 20 years ago all over again and have it not lead anywhere. And then Roman, it just does more damage to him. Just have him feed with another member of the roster like Elias. Now granted, Roman and Elias on paper does nothing for me. It sounds like the cure for insomnia. It might be as boring, if yeah, maybe a little better off, than Roman's match with Jinder at Money in the Bank last year. Uh, and it's a great spot for Elias to be in, but as a match with nothing on the line and just, you know, in the ring, Elias is not all that exciting, and Roman is just, he has to have the right opponent to be great, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not all that excited by that. But they did kick off the Elias-Roman Reigns feud on SmackDown this week. Roman went after Shane, which prompted Elias to come out, and those two double-teamed Roman Reigns. So Elias and Roman is now made official for the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, which keeps Roman far away from the Money in the Bank briefcase, which is probably for the best. We had Andrade back on SmackDown after Cesaro showed up on Raw, which I think I mentioned at the start of the show, but not in my thoughts in the... Uh, not, not my actual Raw review, but yeah, Cesaro is on Raw now. For what reason, we have no clue. No explanation was given. I'm glad he's on his own, but they could have pushed him on his own on SmackDown if Sheamus is hurt at the moment. So I thought that was stupid. Um, but yeah, Cesaro is on Raw now, and that means Andrade is back on SmackDown after moving to Raw last week, in which, in his Raw debut, he beat um, Finn Balor, one-on-one -on -one in non-title action, which I'm like, oh, that was a great match. Shame we won't get any follow-up because Balor's on SmackDown. Well, we did get follow-up this week with Balor beating Andrade to get his win back. I was not a fan of this. Um, but now it depends where it's going. Even if both guys are involved in the Money in the Bank ladder match, they could still have a title match like days before the pay-per-view. They could build up a title match for either the SmackDown before the event or after the pay-per-view. Now, I, they may still do that. I don't know. But Andrade has no claim to the championship now that he's been beaten by Balor. This was still a very fun match, though. They worked well together. Andrade is a better fit for SmackDown. It's weird that he's back on the brand and losing on night one after winning on Raw. I thought that was a little weird. Um, but reportedly, Andrade is back on SmackDown because of two different things. One, he has his relationship with Charlotte. Now, I'm sure that played a factor, but wasn't the sole reason as to why he's back on SmackDown. And those two, I think, were the only couple that were separated in the shakeup. Because Andrade's back on SmackDown. Zelina Vega's with them, which means Aleister Black is coming too. Because they don't want to split up Vega and Black, which is smart and wise. So I'm glad they're doing that because they're a married couple in real life. But yeah, with Andrade, apparently Fox also wanted more Latino stars on SmackDown, which makes complete sense. Because they were big on the Latino stars on SmackDown many, many years ago. That's why Rey Mysterio is such a big part of the brand and the mid-2000s, Del Rio is a big part of the brand in the early 2010s. <laughs> That's why they put Sin Cara on the show back in 2011, 2012. 
And now it's Andrade with Rey Mysterio on Raw. I think Andrade on SmackDown makes perfect sense. Uh, they had a good match here. Again, not all that happy with the outcome, but hopefully this is not the end of the rivalry. Um, I already mentioned this before, but Peyton Royce t- took on Kyrie Sane in one-on-one action. Now, Sane went over as she should have, but I just thought it was dumb that Peyton Royce lose that a, a night after Billy Kay lost on Raw to Naomi. They're making those tag team titles, whatever they meant to begin with, mean less and less by the night with all the losses they're occurring here. It's a joke. I'm glad Sane won, as she should have. This was kept short and sweet, which was probably for the better because um, I just did not care about the match. But the Iconics are being booked like losers. Their promos last longer than their matches do, which is kind of a problem. Uh, so this was totally forgettable. But at least Sane won, so at least that was a good way to introduce her to singles action on SmackDown. I thought that was smart. We then found out Jinder Mahal. Yes, Jinder Mahal is back on SmackDown as a member of the blue brand as part of the Superstar Shakeup. Um, so Cesaro goes to Raw. And in return, we get Jinder fucking Mahal on SmackDown again. Why, oh why, WWE gods, are we being punished for actually liking SmackDown? Why? I don't understand it. But yeah, Jinder's back on SmackDown. He was supposed to take on Chad Gable here. Chad Gable was attacked beforehand by Lars Sullivan before the match could happen. Um, Sullivan then took out the Singh brothers. Um, Mahal got the hell out of Dodge, so he never made contact with Sullivan. And then Sullivan laid out R-Truth, who came to Chad Gable's aid, or kind of came out to brawl with uh, Sullivan after Sullivan laid out R-Truth last week. So this was a good segment. I like the booking of Lars Sullivan so far. Um, Again, Jinder on SmackDown does nothing for me. Just keep him far, 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 far away from the WWE title, and I'll be content. Um, Chad Gable, I've already said this before, but I think he could have a feature on SmackDown if they booked him the right way. The issue is, I don't think they will. The fact that he was just fodder for Lars Sullivan here is not good. I'm not a big fan of that whatsoever. But uh, nonetheless, we'll see where he goes. I think he would be better fit for 205 Live, but we'll see what the uh, SmackDown brand has in store for him. We then had Becky come out and confront Charlotte for the first time since WrestleMania, we were told, as if this was like 10 years ago. WrestleMania was fucking two weeks ago, people. It's still very much fresh in everyone's mind. They went back and forth on the mic for a little while. I mean, it was a good exchange. They have good chemistry together. But I'm just so sick of seeing Becky and Charlotte in the same ring. It had kind of, like, you know, they, they, they reached, it ran its course by, like, October. By, like, the Evolution pay-per-view. But they continued it, and continued it, and continued it, and continued it. And now we're getting another match between them at Money in the Bank. There are so many talented women on SmackDown, and I'm hoping they're just getting it out of the way, because Charlotte never, I mean, she technically wasn't pinned to WrestleMania. But she lost. She's a fucking loser. So I don't understand why the feud's continuing. Charlotte should just move on. But whatever. We gotta get the whole Becky-Charlotte feud in here. Even though we've seen it, you know, done to death over the last eight months. Um, Charlotte and Bayley had a good match. It was a number one contenders match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Charlotte went over clean. Bayley got a ton of offense here. I liked how aggressive she was. So that was a plus. A Bayley heel turn eventually, I feel, would be what's best for her. Because she was booed last week when she showed up on SmackDown and confronted Becky and was in the same segment as Ember. Um, I would have loved to have seen Bailey or Ember take on Becky at Money in the Bank. Of course, it wasn't in the cards for whatever reason, whatever. Um, but yeah, with Bailey, So she's not going for the championship at Money in the Bank, which I feel like she would have lost anyway. So this might actually work out for the better because this accomplishes a few different things. One, it gets Charlotte away from the Money in the Bank briefcase. Two, it sets up Bailey to be in the Money in the Bank ladder match. And three, it also sets her up to win the whole thing. So this is my suggestion. You put Bailey in the ladder match, which you have to know she's going to end up in. 
There's not many other women on SmackDown that could be in the thing. I assume Kyrie and Asuka and maybe even Mandy and Sonya will end up in the women's tag team title match of the show. So that eliminates them, uh, their participation in the match. But yeah, I would put Bailey in the ladder match, have her win the whole thing, and after Becky beats Lacey Evans and Charlotte at um, Money in the Bank, Bailey cashes in and she turns heel. Maybe it's not you know Sunday. Maybe it's the the, the Tuesday after the pay per view. But Bailey cashing in like a la CM Punk back in two thousand and nine, who cashed in on Jeff Hardy and people were like ten years ago at this point, which is fucking crazy. I remember watching that as a kid. But um, yeah, you, you know she cashes in. She goes heel because people love Becky. And it's a fresh feud. We have yet to see a Becky Bailey feud ever. They crossed paths a few times in NXT, never on the main roster. I don't think we have yet to see a Becky Bailey match uh, on the WWE main roster, let alone a feud. With Bailey as the heel, I think that could be a lot of fun. Now, I know Charlotte's the lead heel right now on SmackDown, but I think it could work. I think it could absolutely work. So that's my booking scenario for Bailey. That's my fantasy booking for Bailey. I don't think it's going to happen, but it, just a thought. And then we get to the main event. Kofi Kingston took on Shinsuke Nakamura. Good match. Got plenty of time. I never really once thought Nakamura would win. He's not been a WWE Championship challenger in like close to a year, but it was a good match. Kingston went over by disqualification in the end after Rusev got involved and then Xavier came in to help out um, Kofi and Kevin Owens, who was also at ringside with the rest of the New Day. So then came time for Kofi and Owens to team up on Nakamura. Right when it looked like Kevin Owens was going to help out Kofi in taking out Nakamura, he laid out Kofi with a super kick to just glorious boos, a glorious chorus of boos here. And it was awesome. You had to know the turn was coming eventually. Like, I understand that. But um, I'm happy they sped up the process because this gives them plenty of time to build a Kofi Owens one-on-one match at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, which I actually really like the idea of, especially with the rest of New Day being out right now. Biggie's actually hurt. And this sets up a big storyline for when he comes back with him, you know, Kevin Owens replacing him, and then, you know, um, him turning on the rest of the New Day, and Biggie wasn't there to help. So I like that idea quite a bit. So you could do that uh, when Big E comes back, hopefully soon, maybe in time for Money in the Bank, if not soon after. But this also sets up a singles run for Kofi Kingston, which you have not seen yet since he became WWE Champion at WrestleMania. He beat Daniel Bryan, but he's been with the rest of the New Day ever since. It kind of feels like the New Day are WWE champion and not Kofi Kingston. So I like this a lot because that one's also took out Xavier by pop-up powerbombing him on the ring apron. Um, So that was cool. Yeah, I thought this angle was great all around. Again, predictable, yes, and we all knew it was coming eventually. And I guess the moral of the story is to never trust Kevin Owens because he's now turned on Sami Zayn, Chris Jericho, and now the New Day. So the New Day were kind of fools for trusting Kevin here. But he was very convincing, so there is that. Um, but I thought the overall angle was great because this accomplishes a number of different things. Again, like I said, sets up something for Big E to do when he comes back. It uh, puts Kofi Kingston on his own to see if he's going to sink or swim on his own as WWE champion. It gets Kevin Owens back in the limelight, back in the spotlight on SmackDown as the sole singles lead heel on that show. And he very well could become WWE champion coming out of this feud. So again, I really like this angle a lot. I like the idea of Kofi and Kevin at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. It should be a good match. Kevin's next promo should be fucking amazing because the guy loves to rip people apart and he hates having fun. And uh, he had fun the last couple of weeks, but it was all just a ruse to gain the trust and confidence of the New Day, which he ended up betraying them in the end anyway. So I liked this a lot and I thought it was a good way to close out the show. SmackDown was solid overall. We're always solid too. I'm liking the current rosters, even though the shakeup, um, you know, kind of not mess things up, but the execution of the shakeup the fallout from the shakeup, I thought, has been, has been solid so far. 
The issue is with the execution. They really got to get their shit down here because the shakeup is like, you know, it should not be that difficult. Whatever happened to the days of having people show up on different shows and not just show up, but like being announced as being on different shows and they made a big deal out of it. And there was a big countdown. Now people just show up randomly, even like back in the, back in the day when they did the draft, they didn't hold the draft and then people got moved to different shows like the next week. You had the draft, the supplemental draft, and that was it. You don't extend it over two weeks. And if you do, that's fine, but at least advertise it as such. I don't even know if WWE knew they were making it a two-week event until it happened on Monday. So the whole superstar shakeup was an absolute mess. But I am looking forward to the new rosters. Um, they are a bit more balanced. I do think Raw has the way better roster overall. Like, it's not even close. SmackDown has the better women's division. I do think Raw has the better, like, uh, just a more stacked division in every other way. Tag teams, mid-card, main event, they just have a better roster. Um, purely my opinion, I, I thought SmackDown was the better show, but Raw wasn't bad either. I thoroughly enjoyed Raw as well. So we'll see what else they have up their sleeve as Money the Bank draws near in the next month, which I am very much looking forward to being in attendance for. And that's going to do it, guys, for this week's Wrestle Rant Radio. Thank you, as always, for taking the time out of your day to check out the show. Very much appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next week with an all-new episode on Thursday, breaking down all the latest happenings in WWE and beyond. Uh, you can check out new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio, like I said, every single Thursday, not only on NextDarrison.net, but also on iTunes. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show by simply searching up Wrestle Rant Radio on your Apple Podcast app. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe. All the archived episodes are there as well. As for me, you can find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com, um, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and also on YouTube at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Matthews. So until next time, guys, enjoy Avengers Endgame today, tomorrow, whenever you're going to see it, and uh, let me know what you think, because I cannot wait for the movie, and I'm very excited to see it tonight. It's going to be a fucking barn burner, to say the least. If it's anything less than amazing... I'll be pissed. So more on that next week, guys. Have a great weekend. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Do a